Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. everyone uh it's andy richter and uh this is the three questions yet again uh i am very happy to talk to um well an old pal of mine we've yeah. been we've been online twitter pals for a number of years now um usually talking about dolly parton uh or <laughs> like country really music. truly yes. <laughs> <laughs> i mean she's a sociologist and she's a genius and everything but we mostly just talk about dolly parton um but she has written some amazing books. Uh, Lower Ed was a book that she wrote about the for-profit uh, college industry and Thick and other essays, which dealt with, um, I guess, intersectional feminism, racism, all those kind of issues and how they intersect. And and uh, you are a provocateur and now a fancy pants opinion columnist for the New York Times. <laughs> how about that? Congratulations. Thank I'm talking you very to much. Tressie McMillan Cottom. Uh, I don't, do you ever, do people just go Tressy now? Yes. You just go full share and be well, Tressy. I don't know if I can go full share, <laughs> but that never stops anybody from trying to go right. full share. Right, but right. I say with a name like Tressy, the other two are just, you know, overkill. Yeah. Uh, tr uh, students, friends, colleagues, everybody. Tressy is just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to have you. I appreciate it. And you're 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 speaking to me from your home in North Carolina. That's uh, right. Chapel I mean, Hill, I don't, North I don't want to get any more specific than that. You know, right. keep the, keep Listen, the I work away. at a public university, but thanks for thinking of it. I will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> no. So I think it's, you know, I think it's one of the best places in the country. I will not kid anybody about that all day long. I love it here. Yes, I'm in North Carolina. It's home for me. I grew up here. Yeah. Yeah, it is. A, it's a beautiful state. It is. It's a, it's a it's a really beautiful state. South Carolina. I used to vacation a lot. When I lived on the East Coast in mm -hmm. South Carolina, um, which is a very different place from on the coast from the interior. And mostly yes, it we, is. we stuck to the coast. <laughs> uh, but even then it was it was we went to uh, we went to dinner once at a, a restaurant there. And I was with a friend of mine who is of a, a, a 100% Greek parentage and he had mm -hmm. kind of long hair. And yeah. we, the mayor of the town, and we knew he was the mayor because he had been in the July 4th parade, as we walked in, loudly said, what the hell is that? Yep. About a Greek gentleman with long hair. And I felt mm -hmm. like, have you never seen Travis Tritt? Like what? <laughs> what, what are you, why are you so shocked by a man with long Listen. hair? South Carolina is beautiful and they make you pay for that every minute you're there. Yeah. That's yeah, my thing yeah. about South Carolina. I'm like, you you know, Hilton Head down around the islands area. Absolutely gorgeous. It could not be to me anyway, culturally more different. 
Yeah. Uh, then North Carolina is one of those weird things. You know, we're all the same thing, you know, is North yeah. Carolina. But culturally, man, listen, the, once you see all the golf shirts, mm-hmm. you're just in a different kind of space <laughs> where they yeah. really had not ever seen a yeah. man with long hair. Yeah, yeah. So now you're I, I was surprised to see you were born in Harlem. I know, to my great shame, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably well, why I over overstate that North Carolina is my home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was that um were you, what were your folks doing in Harlem at the time? And that's actually that's a great question because I'm writing about that right now. Actually, oh, good. truly, um, the like how did yeah, a good North Carolina girl end up born not just in Harlem, Harlem Hospital. I mean, the middle wow. uh, of you know the cultural economic center, basically of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was growing up, certainly, and certainly for like Black America, it's just the middle of everything, right? Um, and that is because my grandparents have been part of the Great Migration. Uh, that moved millions of black people from the South to the North and some parts uh, Midwest and West. Um, And I was just the last of the, you know, last of the Mohicans there, the last one born uh, there in the city. And then we start, like a lot of people, we started the reverse migration when I was young. Um, So, yeah, I was always, uh, there's a Hank Hill episode um, where Hank, you know, the quintessential Texan, discovers that he was born in New York City. Uh, and I've never identified with something more because he's so deeply <laughs> implicated. His whole identity like falls apart on him yeah. and they've held it from him his whole life because they knew he couldn't handle it. Um, because, I mean, I say to people, nothing felt more Southern than uh, Harlem in the late 1970s, early 80s, when I was growing up there. It really did. I mean, everybody there was from North Carolina and South Carolina, you know, with a sprinkling of, like, people from Jamaica. (laughs) But everybody that, for me, it actually felt so much like uh, home, what we called home here in the um, South, um, that they didn't feel culturally distinct. But that's how I end up in Harlem. Yeah. Yeah. And what what age did... uh... Did you guys head back? Did your folks head back? I was quite young. So I think I was, uh, I had not started school. I know that. So I think it's about four, four or five mm-hmm. years old. Um, and uh, my mom likes to tell the story. I mean, she's an unreliable narrator. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we take Aren't her the greatest all... salt. They really are. Yeah. <laughs> Motherhood and memories, man. I <laughs> I don't know what happens there. Um, but she likes to say it was the summer of Sam because it apparently oh, yeah. that freaked her out. Uh-huh. And she said, no, we've got to get, uh, you know, my baby out of the city. And she says that's why she moved back. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, are you an only child? I am. I you am are. an only child. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were like, we, we've done enough. Yes. We can stop now. <laughs> I like to say, this is an ongoing, long-standing joke with my parents. I like to say, oh, you had me and uh, one was enough. And they're like, yeah, we had you and one was enough. that's good now as an only child did you did you grow up missing siblings i mean did you ever feel bereft of what you didn't have yeah it's so weird i don't think i even quite understood like how i'm still a little confused actually how siblings work Mm -hmm. so sometimes i'll meet someone and they've got what is to me a lot of siblings like four or something and i'll go do you know everybody's name uh (laughs) And it's just, I really didn't quite, pro- and I think even as a kid, didn't get it. What I do remember is asking my mother for a twin sister. 
Oh. You know, before people explain how that worked. <laughs> I do think I wanted like somebody to, I was very keen on somebody being the exact same age as me. Right. I just wanted right. a permanent buddy, which yeah. now sounds very sad, but I did. And we had, when I was growing up, those dolls that were like life size. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's, that's it. That's cool. Now that. I'd be into that. Um, <laughs> so I don't think I asked for sisters and brothers so much as I was just like, you know, can you clone me? I'd like somebody right, to go right. through life with. Just give me somebody to keep, you know. God. Give me somebody, yeah. Somebody somebody to talk to that's not you. <laughs> a, a physical representation of my self-regard. How about that? <laughs> I you know? know. It's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it sounds extremely narcissistic. <laughs> but you just got to understand. I just wanted somebody to trade stuff with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it's, I mean, it is kind of, you know, I had an older brother and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, we, we'd spent forever together, but we're very different people, but yeah. you know, just having somebody there was great. And then when my mom remarried, I got a brother and sister who were nine years younger than me, mm-hmm. um, which meant uh, that I learned to diaper at nine. I, there was no, there was no question about whether That's or not right. you're help. You're going to help, you know, yep. so. Uh, which is a baby skill that, that serves me well up until. I think that's so important for guys, especially. I always think it's strange now when I, I'll meet a guy and he's like, oh, I've never held a baby. And I'm like, what? what? How? I, I don't get it either. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I mean, well, I, I, I also, too, I grew up in kind of a my folks divorced when I was young. So mm-hmm. I feel like I grew up and, and we, I think we actually talked about this once. And when, when I say talked, I meant I mean, <laughs> D- yeah. DM'd or whatever. Um, I grew up with women. I, you know, mm-hmm. we, we moved back to my to my grandmother and grandfather's house. And yeah, in my grandmother and grandfather's house, it was my grandmother and my grandfather. Oh, yeah. You know, Same. it was. Yeah. So uh, uh, and then and with my mom, I just. I always just mm-hmm. kind of identified more with women yeah. and, and the women that were around. So with my grandma, that was cooking, that mm-hmm. was, you know, that was cooking. And then kind of, you know, and then as my mom, you know, after the kids came is like, you're you need to know how to scrub a toilet. That's and so, right. You know, that's there was no cleaning lady. So it was mm-hmm. it was you were put to work. And I am. It's one of the things that, I mean, my kids can cook, mm-hmm. but I don't know that my kids have ever cleaned a bathroom. No, yeah. You know? I would be surprised. To be fair, parenting changed a ton during your trajectory. Like, again, yeah. as somebody who's now thinking about this and trying to be, like, really gracious of remembering how my mom raised me and, like, what was even available and what the options were. And when you look at that time period, I mean— your kids wouldn't understand. I mean, we say this of every generation, but I think my mom understood her her mother's generation better than the children of my peers now could understand us. Yeah. Yeah. Because being a child just became so different. So see the same thing. Like when I was growing up, uh, you know, big extended family. My grandmother was there for a while and grandma, grandpa in and out, great grandma even and cousins and all of that. Everybody just did whatever needed to be done. Mm-hmm. So there was no like child job or, you know, if you were big enough to pick up the <laughs> the tool needed to do the thing, <laughs> you did right. the thing. But now I can look at like, you know, my cousins and stuff, you know, the younger people in my family. And it's not that they are bad because they're amazing kids. They're mm-hmm. interesting and funny and good and kind, almost too kind. I'm like, don't y'all ever just like do something like But they're really <laughs> kind kids. 
but they wouldn't know how to do half the stuff I knew how to do at 12 if I paid them. Yeah, yeah. They just, you know, they're over scheduled. First of all, they got so much to do. Yeah. Um, they don't have time for all yeah. that stuff that we did. Yeah. Well, my son's 21 and I think about he's never had a job and I've mm-hmm. been working since I was 13. Same, uh, buddy. Yeah. If you count, I mean, and even before that, if you count going to the plumbing shop with my stepdad and selling old men pipe stems, you know, yes, that and traps and things <laughs> like that. Um, but yet, and I don't, I don't, and I was never one to be like, you'll do what I do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I yeah, but I do look at it and I think, when would he have fit in a job in exactly. his in yep. his growing up? Like when between the amount of schoolwork that he had mm-hmm. and the amount of just life that he had, where where would he have put in, yep. you know, gotten a job stocking produce at the grocery store yeah, like I did? No. You know? No, it wouldn't have happened. And thing. all of that stuff, and none of that stuff was it sounds extra, I think, when you, like, read about it. Like, oh, well, yeah, they're doing soccer and in lacrosse and they should be doing. But when you look at it, like, in living it, I again, I you know, I look at, like, my, my friends' kids and um, the young people in my life. That stuff is not extra. It It, it is quite literally the stuff they do. It, you would almost have to yeah. work harder to, like, pull them out of that. To like get them like mm-hmm. my first real, you know, my first paid wage job like you had was always doing stuff. My first wage job was at Wendy's. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yes, I learned some important skills. Don't get me wrong. I actually think I learned everything I needed to know about life on my first shift at Wendy's. But I would I pull kids out of like their universe to go. Yeah. Sling burgers at Wendy's. I'm not sure I would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, I. I'm not sure it's worth all the work it would take to, you know, uh, extract them from like that really complex life they have to like Mm -hmm. go get those skills. At the same time, them never having work makes me feel like a dinosaur and I'm against that. So and I'm and I'm torn by it, too, because there's part of me that I have always said it's one of the most important lessons in life that will Mm -hmm. prepare you for this life Mm -hmm. is you have to learn how to eat shit. That's you right. Have to learn how to do this unpleasant yeah. thing. Yep. And not only that, but be, be have somebody that is beneath contempt mm-hmm. telling you how to do it. And and you have to just shut up and do it because yep. it's your job and you're getting paid to. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, do I really want my children to <laughs> no. have to submit to eating shit? No, no I mean I, I didn't go. I didn't go through all this therapy so that they could start exactly. from scratch where and I then, was. And then how do you explain that to them? Like, listen, listen, I love you so much. I'm gonna go drop you off, <laughs> <laughs> right, at, at a place where everybody's horrible, yeah. and your whole existence for yeah. four or five hours is gonna be to take a lot of shit from yeah. people. Like it's just again, I, you can't really justify that, no. you know. No. It's the scared straight method. You remember they tried that with us, with oh, the yeah, you yeah. know, scared straight, and I don't think that ever worked on a single soul. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, too, I think it's also part and parcel of there being a a huge difference just in terms of the uh, the involvement of parents, like the mm-hmm. stuff that I, my there was a PTA meeting like twice a year or yep. a parent yep. teacher conference twice a year. Yeah, that was it. 
now it's every, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, this is, I'm talking to L.A. private schools. You're mm-hmm. expected to do all this kind of extra oh, yeah. stuff. And people do it. And if you don't do it, people notice. Like there'd, mm-hmm. be, there'd be kids in the third grade class who this man would come and you'd be like, who is that? And they're like, oh, that's just the dad. You know, mm-hmm. that's Jeremy's dad. And you had never seen Jeremy's dad and everyone would be like, oh, Jeremy's dad really needs to buckle down and get in here and, you know, hand out cupcakes. Um, but I, I, I and I think that's also part of just mm-hmm. the, the, the general striving towards more psychological health yeah. and not just sucking it up. And, and yep. you know, like we I think that my my generation, our generation's very we. It became important to not be miserable and, and yeah, to, yeah. to do what it takes to not be miserable. Whereas yeah. I feel like my my mm-hmm. parents and their parents being yeah. miserable was being awake. You know, I think. that's right. That's yeah. right. No, I, I clearly remember my mom saying to me, not angry even. I just remember her looking at me like weirdly once. I mean, I think it was maybe between high school and college. I think I was maybe home, you know, in that little gap area before you go off. And so feeling myself, it wasn't quite gone and was talking about, you know, all the stuff I was going to do and how I was making my decisions about what I was going to do in college. Um, you know, just stuff I'd heard from everybody. You know, I was going to double major in that and think about this and blah, 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 because I want this option, you know, I want this freedom to do blah, blah, blah. And she's staring at me, one, well, like I'm an alien. Uh-huh. And she's like, so do you think your life is about being happy? Not angry, but like never occurred to me. Like, let's talk that through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... I, we weren't the first. I don't think we inherited it because we didn't get it from them. But I think we were the first who heard the message. These today's young people, and I think mostly to the good. I think this is mostly a good thing. Care about their well-being and their mental health in a more holistic way. They certainly have more words to talk about it, mm-hmm. um, which I just have to think gen- is a general good trend. Like, yeah, some people can abuse the words, but it's always better in my mind to have more words than oh, fewer words, you know, for your experience. Absolutely. And I think that means they're never going to quite understand us. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's fine. I mean, I remember daytime television, just even like the junk psychology of daytime television of, you know, what you'd see, you you know, these, you know, like Dr. Phil, there was always something about Dr. Phil Mm -hmm. was like, you're going to come in here and in an hour, you're going to undo years of just trauma and viciousness and hurt and anger and, you know, and then you, it's like, well, it's, we got three minutes left. You better, you better, hurry up. you better fix them, you know? Yeah. But it at least did create something where you'd see men mm-hmm. talking about their feelings, especially men yeah. talking about their feelings in a place where they never did before, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where there had to be this kind of stoicism. And I think, it, you know, it, it went over into women too. And, and just to learn that kind of language, the yeah. kind of language of of self-reflection and of mm-hmm. analysis, you know, yep. even a watered-down version of analysis, it can't be bad. 
They yeah. can't be bad yeah. for as complicated as, a, as an animal as we are mm-hmm. for us to know a little bit more about ourselves. That's my thinking, too. And, you know, and I'm one of these people who, you know, we can critique, critique that stuff to the end of time. And I'm with you. Like, I think, yeah. yeah, sure. We've gone overboard. And, you know, Dr. Phil gave us Dr. Oz and we probably didn't want that. And like, I yeah. get it. At the same time, I'm like you. I think. Everything that we can label as a negative consequence of those phenomenons, the, you know, daytime television and Mm -hmm. sort of like junk pop science and everything. Yes. You know, does that mean that some people slide into the occasional cult? Okay, sure. And, you know, (laughs) and do you sometimes go too far and think that you're, you know, uh, the center of the universe? Okay. But guess what? All of those things happened before, too. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, Do we create people who are stymied by their own uh, compulsive self-reflection? Yes. You know, like people that go nowhere because they're so busy spinning in their a own loop. Wheels. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you know what? I think you have those people regardless and that you, yeah. you end up having far more people who just like in regular life can now say something like, you know, I thought I was angry, but I'm not. I'm sad. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a pretty good trade-off all things mm-hmm. considered yeah right or this was done to me it made me really unhappy it, it caused damage i'm not going to just keep doing it because yeah. i looked at it and i took it apart and i untangled the knots and yeah. i think i'm not going to hand that down to the people i'm not mm-hmm. going to you know you either if you're hazed you either continue to yes. haze or you stop the cycle that's and, it and yeah. that's and a I- huge thing I'm, you know. Oh gosh, I say all the time to people. I go, I use the hazing metaphor all the time, and I go, you know, the thing about being hazed is there's a moment in everybody's life where you got to decide if you're the last person to be hazed. Yes, and yeah. I just want to be the person who is strong enough in myself where I can say I'm all right if it means I was the last person. Yeah, to be that hazed. was wrong, and I'm not going to keep it. Yeah, up, you know. Yeah, now you know. Go ahead and and. Relieve student debt. I don't exactly. Care. That's exactly you know? the way I use it the most. I go, yeah. well, this is not. Yeah, if this, you know, we're not in a fraternity or a sorority. Everybody, it's it's all right for you to change the membership criteria, right? Yeah. You got here, you paid a price. It doesn't undo the price you paid. Yeah. 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 Let it go. Well, getting back to your uh, childhood, um, what kind of kid were you? Were Ooh. you? Were you? Uh, were you a handful? Were you uh, and mm. were you and also kind of I mean, uh, you now are paid to have opinions officially. <laughs> officially, right? yeah. Were, did you were were you sharing them at a young age, like maybe a little yeah. too much or were oh, you keeping yeah. them to yourself? I mean, you know, I think like every especially every successful woman I have ever known has one thing in common. We all got the report card that said talks too much in class, you know, yeah. all yeah, yeah. satisfactories or whatever your thing was. And then that one little in my world, it was a you unsatisfactory one. You, you know, yeah. talks too much in class. You know, I was I was definitely that kid, especially certainly earlier. Uh, I remember getting that report card because I remember it clear as day. Actually, my parents sitting on the sofa, mothers live it because anything less than perfection for my mom. Mm-hmm. Right. It's an opportunity. Um, yeah. And my dad's going, ah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we know what she is. We know who, you know, we know where she came from. Like, yep. you know, let's chill. Would and we I, expect anything other? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, I was, yeah, I was super verbal. I mean, obviously, right. For uh, And I come from a 
big, big family of readers. And so I was an early Um, reader and a big reader and nothing more determined who I ended up being and who I am in the world than that. Like, yeah. You know, and I was before, um, I like to say I probably wouldn't be the same person now because now we have a concept, the concept of age appropriate reading. That was yes. not the case when I was a kid. It was, <laughs> so I was, re- I mean, I got any, I read crap. I mean, yeah, everything from my grandma's Harlequin romance novels to, uh, uh, Stephen, um, uh, I mean, the Tommy Knockers, so who am I trying to say here? Stephen um, King. Stephen King, way yeah. too young, yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, flowers in the Attic. What the hell were they thinking? <laughs> um, yeah, all the kids read that. What? All the kids it was read like, that about, you know, like. And we passed it around. Oh, it was children. a big deal. Yeah. I clearly remember the girl who gave me the copy yeah. of Flowers of the Attic in school. It yeah, was yeah. contraband and made it all the more <laughs> exciting. Um, so, you know, reading way beyond where I should have been, but what it gave me, like we were just talking about, it gave me words and probably too many before mm-hmm. I knew how to be a good steward of them and all of that. Um, now, my mom will say that I was extremely outgoing and all of that, but I remember being more introspective than that. And that's probably about perspective, right? She saw me at home, but in school, again, only child, was really used to an adult world. I was always easily overwhelmed by a lot of kids. Yeah. Because I didn't understand the dynamics. You know, if they had siblings, they knew how to interact with each other. And here I, you know, I was basically like the kid who's like introduced themselves. Yeah. You know, came in the second grader who like shakes your hand. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that little freaking weirdo. Uh, because Hello. I hung out with adults. Yeah, yeah. So I was completely unprepared for school. And and, and in fact, I remember uh, about middle school, which is when, you know, I now know that's when it happens. You know, your personalities come out and clicks start to happen. I remember one teacher telling my mom, well, gosh, she's just so quiet, you know? So we're always so surprised when she turns in her work, you know, it'll be really yeah. good because we didn't. And my mom was like, who, who is quiet? But I, you know, I was a little overwhelmed by the social yeah. dynamics of it all. Yeah. Um, no, and, and yeah. It, it also, I think part of being smart is knowing, it, it, well, it's knowing, it's knowing mm-hmm. your capabilities. It's reading a situation and yeah. knowing this situation is one in which I should keep my cards close right. to the chest. Right. You know, this is I not waited, my room. <laughs> I waited tables at Casa Lupita in Naperville, Illinois. And later when I became a comedian and mm-hmm. was on TV, I bumped into a couple of people or, you know, was mm-hmm. people from there reached out and said, this is amazing. You never said three words. Yep. while you." And I said, well, I sort of felt like Casa Lupita was not the place to let it all hang out. Lupita was not your place. No, it was just a place to sling the chips and salsa and go home with my chips. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So. Nope. I have now, you know, every TV is weird, by the way. I don't know how you do TV. I find that to be just as like a, a it's just strange. I think television is so strange, but every time I'm on, uh, and I don't do a lot of it because I think it's strange. <laughs> but every time I'm on, I get what you probably get all the time. But, you know, there'll be that sudden influx of people from back home who yeah. see you on TV. And uh, and it's, 
just happened recently. Somebody from like a call center I worked because I was the call I was the queen of call centers for a while there. That's how I paid for everything in the early two thousands. And yeah. um, uh, oh, I saw oh I did everything in a call center. I've been your insurance agent, and your health benefits person. I've been your EEOP person at your job. I have uh oh got back when your car it was really new for your car you know the Sirius or whatever and your car on board yeah, yeah. star on board I'm I was that I was the, yeah. I was a 401 operator I've done all of it wow. and so somebody from a call center you know from my call center you just see me on TV and this guy he's like uh, I think you used to be in the cubicle next to me and uh, <laughs> he's on like the page of the TV show having this conversation with me yep uh, yep. I think you're the girl who's in that cubicle right next to me uh, you had to troll on your, I was like, yeah, got it. Yeah, that's me. That's okay. me. <laughs> I had the same thing the day after Late Night with Conan O'Brien debuted. Yeah. So it was a Tuesday. Uh, I was in my office at Rockefeller Center. The phone rang and it was a guy, a kid from high school that like, I, you know, I knew yeah. I was on the football team with him, but we weren't close friends or anything. Mm -hmm. He said, hey, is this you? I said, yeah, it is. And he, like, he'd gone to the trouble to look, because where are you going to look That's up? what I was going to ask. How did you, how do they call I, you at the show? 411, I guess, and yeah. say, could I talk to NBC in New York? And But obviously had to probably go through four receptionists yep. to get to me. And it was pretty much, was that you? Yep. Okay. Oh, cool. All right. Well, uh, good luck. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. All right. So, so weird. I don't yeah. know. That never happens to me. Listen, I can write a whole book. That never happens. You can be on radio. You can yeah. do that. TV, though. TV, yeah. man. It's still, you know, the gold standard for coming into people's homes. And it just trips people out in a yeah. special kind of way um, that I just find overwhelming and really interesting. But, yeah, it happens every time I'm on TV and it makes it clear to me that I was who I remember being is quite different than how people probably experienced me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wanna make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Well, did you have trouble, I mean, being intelligent? Did you run into mm. trouble in high school and stuff with teachers? I mean, every, yeah. it seems like, you know, intelligence is a thing that's, that's you know, you're in school. The idea is right. to achieve in school. But I found sometimes, like, being smart was not, no. like, you know, no. you, you, no. it was a challenge to people. Yeah. And I think especially as a girl, a smart yes. girl, there's a... Yeah. Definite qualitative difference between that and a smart boy. Absolutely. And that's yeah. what I remember. I, so like, I, it wasn't so, it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't a John Hughes movie, right? They like didn't hate the nerds, yeah. but I was definitely not, you know, you know, like you just mentioned being on the football team and truly something in me. Went, oh, he's on a football team. Like that still works on me. You know what I mean? Like there was just such a clear hierarchy. And like, so like I wasn't a cheerleader. I wasn't on the dance squad. Although I tried out one year. Disastrous. I don't oh. know what got into me. Andy is the most, to this day, one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done in my yeah. life. I somehow got the idea that trying out to be on the dance squad was a meritocracy. <laughs> and that you just had to go and be really good. They would, they would, they would recognize your oh, heart. That's my what they... God, <laughs> They took the exchange student instead of me. Do you understand what that means, Sue Lynn? If yes. you're out there, Sue Lynn, I remember you like yesterday. Sue Lynn hadn't been in the country three weeks. I swear to God, and yeah. they took her on a mostly black squad. I might point out. She was a diversity hire of me. <laughs> Most embarrassing thing of my life. Uh, so, like, I wasn't picked on, but I definitely wasn't in that, you know, crew. And so I was smart, and I. Again, more comfortable probably with adults and with kids, but in school, the teachers aren't normal adults, Mm-mm. right? They were also weirdly part of our, like, um, so for instance, I remember one, the cool teacher, the coolest teacher in school ran the fashion program mm-hmm. in my high school, and, uh, which as I remember, it was basically them having an annual fashion show every year. And it was where mm-hmm. all the cute mm-hmm. girls, you know, did. And so she was the coolest teacher and I wanted her attention, you know, approval or whatever so much. And uh, and I remember overhearing her talk to the school girls one day in school and they were like giggling about something. Yeah. And I realized that she wouldn't she never talked to me like she she was one of them. For I me, see. she was my teacher. Yeah. With them, she was one of the girls. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized, oh, even the teachers are, you know, in on the. <laughs> on the whole hierarchy yeah, thing. Exactly. That's what I was gonna say. They're invested in a hierarchical oh, yeah. structure that exists yeah. nowhere outside the room. You know, I mean yep. I mean you you yep. can say in various sort of workplaces there's hierarchical structures, but high school is a very particular nothing one. Like and, it. There's and a nothing lot of like people, it. A lot of people that work in high school. Yep. I mean, my uh, my brother and his wife are both 
teachers and my brother's a high school teacher and mm-hmm. yeah there's a he says there's a lot of teachers that just are oh yeah they're still in high school they just well, one of the are, are like things, they got a good job at high school that's like exactly right yeah. they were so good at high school yeah they got a job that made it so they never have to leave i yeah. say as a professor i was clearly better at college right <laughs> but and i know and i absolutely know that that's what it is i basically got to a place and finally found a room where i made sense and i was like well i'm never leaving here y'all got to hire me because <laughs> <laughs> this is it and yeah. i think that's kind of what happened for high school teachers the ones who are like really good you know the popular high school teachers that's what that was and i remember thinking um i don't talk like that and i'm never gonna have that thing you know that they Mm -hmm. have that rapport and um so i had my own friend groups we weren't at the center of the hierarchy of high school wasn't really picked on but didn't quite exist in the you know they're on a ton of pages uh with me in the yearbook you know (laughs) if you flip back um but I but enjoyed it, but could not. But the the adults were to me as much a part of the problem as the kids, and was like fine leaving it. Like I, they're mm-hmm. they're actually uh, next week. I uh, read in the newspaper recently. My high school is a historic high school. It's um it was one of the high schools that was part of the desegregation of American school systems. And so it's always been very, you know, it's one of these, it's in the paper a lot. And uh, they are uh, tearing it down next week, the building that I went to school in. And I thought about going, you know, seeing the school go, go down. And then I thought, what the hell? Nobody remembers me. There's no, like, this romantic <laughs> vision of like driving back the high school and getting one of the bricks as it tumbled to the, you know, I don't know, man. And then I was like, Tressie, gut check time. That was not your room. That was right. not your space. Like, yeah. you know, if they ever knock down like the grad library at my, then maybe I'll go shed some tears. But right. it was not the best time. Wasn't the worst time of my life by far, but it certainly wasn't the best. Yeah. I wouldn't do it again for a million bazillion dollars. It was hard being a smart girl um not so much because of the boys boys were easy to you know i had big boobs they were fine i could control them but (laughs) it was tough being a smart girl who wanted to talk about things that not even my teachers could kind of engage in like i remember writing a letter to the editor as a ninth grader. Can you just imagine a letter yeah. to the editor of the local paper? Like, what kind of freaking nerd? And it got published. <laughs> yeah. And I remember the principal getting on the intercom going, oh, my God, one of our students, you know, has a, this is before the internet being in the paper was, you yeah. know, almost like being on TV. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And I remember my teachers looking at me like, you know, your teacher didn't even write a letter to the editor. What are you mm-hmm. saying? And I just didn't, yeah, I just I didn't quite fit. Yeah, Didn't yeah. quite fit. Was was there a difference between, did you notice it? Was there a difference between being a, a smart black girl and a smart mm-hmm. white girl? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think some of that was just about, like, I couldn't make up for being smart. So, like, if you were cute enough mm-hmm. as one of the cute, smart white girls, of which we have plenty, by the way. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, that was, like, the top of the hierarchy, to be both cute, to be both and, the cheerleader and, you know. Yeah. AP or whatever, um, that was the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. But I could never be cute enough to offset being smart. Oh, that was yeah. the thing. It that just avenue wasn't open to me. I couldn't be a, a cheerleader. Couldn't be on the dance squad. Obviously, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't. Um, uh, homecoming and you know courts and all that kind of stuff just wasn't available yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
you were itching to get out of there. Yeah, I was. I mean, when I say I was ready to go to college, I remember going to Walmart myself to buy a trunk to put my shit in. I was like, I'm ready. I'm go. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I wanted my big. own apartment by the time I was like 12. I was just like, I'm yeah, done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need something big because I'm taking yes. everything. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not That's coming exactly back. Exactly. I yeah. got two of those trunks. I still remember they were $19.99 each. <laughs> and I got two. And I was like, yep, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Well, what what were you what was in your mind? What were you gonna do? Mm. Oh, I thought uh, I have a one a memory book from high school. It's one of the few mm-hmm. things I do have, and it says in there. God, I look at it now, and I go, I had better insight into myself at seventeen than I did at thirty, because at seventeen <laughs> I pretty much had it down. It was like, uh, I said, well, I don't know about this whole marriage thing, but if somebody comes along. <laughs> Who's cute and doesn't get in the way? I might marry him. <laughs> and then I had a very <laughs> specific Put that salary. in the vows. I was, promise to be cute and get out of the way. It was so specific. It was so weirdly specific. Like, nah. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I named the three cities I would live in. Atlanta, D.C. I definitely wouldn't do these other places. Like, I just was so clear. Yeah. And then for job, this is going to crack you up, as given the last couple of weeks. But... I said, well, I think I will be the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Wow. <laughs> well, you blew it. No, I know. <laughs> I had my shot. I had my shot. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So so you were interested in law then? Or were you just yeah. or was that okay? You were to be interested. Fair, in to be fair, you know, we're from the South. We only know like four jobs. Yeah. You know, it was <laughs> teacher, doctor, or lawyer. Yeah, right. And if you were a good talker, you know, yeah. that's what it was. You were a lawyer, you, yeah. That was it. And yeah. so, yeah, so I was going to be a lawyer. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And and you went to school. I don't remember where the undergrad was. Yeah. I went to North Carolina Central University. That's a, a historically black college uh, not too far from me here now in North Carolina. Oh, okay. Um, it's the other school in Durham is what I like to say. <laughs> People know that other one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're and the other school you, in Durham. Did, did you have a scholarship? I did. Yeah. Yeah, had a full, which is how we decided, by the way. Um, yeah. Full scholarship, so that's where you were going. There was yeah. no, none of this, like, where people now have rankings and charge. No. Hell, mm-hmm. heck no. In fact, I remember getting into a school that I wanted to go to more, and I'd only gotten a partial scholarship. Yeah. And I remember my mom sitting me down and said, okay, listen, little girl, which she only says that when she's serious, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, little girl, if you go to that other school and we've got to figure out every month how to, you know, you know, dot those I's and cross Pay the T's, it, yeah. that's literally all you'll have. Yeah. You know, there's no extra money for nothing. There's no car. There's no insurance, you know, all because all of that had a car by then. And she was just like, that's it. And I remember, you know, real nuts and bolts decisions about your whole future going, uh-huh. well, no, I like my car. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll go to this other school. Yeah. Where, yeah, where I get where I got in a free ride. Yeah. Yeah. I When my son started his he's 21. Mm-hmm. And when he started his college search and I think it was either him or or maybe one of his friends asked me, how many schools did you apply to? And I said, one. Yes. <laughs> the one I went to. Yes. The uni- I went to University of Illinois. That's I, right. I was in the same 
boat as you, small, t- mm. I mean, is it, mm-hmm. I was ready to get out. And I yep. just wanted to go to the biggest place yep. that I could afford. That's and, right. And U of I is an excellent school. It you know, is. I started out in, you know, heading towards the College of Communications, which was a jun- started in yeah. the junior year. But they were going to make me a reporter, and I realized I don't yeah. care about real stories. I only want <laughs> fake stories. Make up, made up <laughs> yeah, stories. Made up stories. So that's I, I transferred to film school. But yeah, I, and I actually I did get I, I should say I did I I did apply to because I I applied to Northwestern mm-hmm. and I got accepted and I would have loved to gone there, but I'd still be paying it off. That's it. That's right. You know, as that's it right. was, as it was, I had I mean I had some scholarships, not big ones. Um, but it was loans. It was mm-hmm. loans. I mean, you know, my son had a college fund. <laughs> I say mm-hmm. had. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, and I said, you got to your junior year debt free. That's really something. You know, that's, that's a really, big deal. These yeah. days, are you kidding me? So, you know, you're, you're, you're way ahead of most kids. That's right. And I, and I t- you know, Pell Grant loans. Yeah. Every from the get go, I That's had right. those, you know. Yeah, and then, Pell Grant and that was, was how we did summers. So, you know, again, didn't want to come home. So I would stay yeah. in the summer. Pell Grant, I did for summer uh, when the scholarship money when you know, it was only for the year. And um, and it's so funny. I did the exact same thing. I only applied to one school. Same thing. The school I was going to. And yeah. at the last possible minute, I remember my guidance counselor calling my mom and going, you realize Trusty only applied? You know, to one school again, mom totally clued in here. She was like, really? She only applied one? And he's like, yeah, you know, we, and again, this is the very start of the race. So they didn't have a fancy thing. He's like, but, you know, she should apply to one just in case, you know, something happens. Yeah. And I threw in a half butt application to a second school just because, so it was only two. And he applied yeah. to two colleges. Yeah. And you went with the one that gave you some money. That was right. it. And it didn't cost. As much, it didn't That's cost right. as much as it does now. No, it doesn't. It, I was it, in state in two, and do you know, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like a full ride. Now that would be like a hundred worth a hundred grand. I, my full ride might have been worth twenty thousand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember tuition. All I think it was tuition and fees and everything all mm-hmm. in at U of I my freshman year was in the neighborhood of eight thousand dollars. That's about. That's what I was thinking too. I think that's about what ours was. Yeah. Yep. And that and that was that was like I say, that's the entire that's the whole ticket price. That's <laughs> that's, right. that's food in the door. Food. And everything. I was gonna say yeah. that's food. That's food which was the too. big deal. Yeah. It was food. I had a book voucher at the bookstore. I yeah. was like, I mean, basically, you know, you I was queen of the universe. It was a <laughs> dorm room, food, everything you could eat or steal in your bag to take back yeah. with you, and a bookstore voucher. Yeah. That's it. When did you when did you figure out well, when did you go? I'm going to be a sociologist. Uh, <laughs> Last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you had to obviously give up on the law. Yeah, uh, yeah. And 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 about and when did that happen? And and was it was it truly just you got to academia and you felt like yeah. I fit in here and this is you know yeah. A good so place I had for a me. really circuitous route because I went to undergrad and just kind of again it was. You know, to risk sounding, um, you know, arrogant, frankly, you know, college was pretty easy to me academically. The academics came really Mm -hmm. easy, um, which means I didn't have to focus a lot. And so I (laughs) didn't I just kind of floated, had no direction, a real purpose. Like, you know, I signed up for whatever they told me to sign up for. But like, I don't remember having like a big plan. Um, What really happened was I got a job like my junior year in college 
ended up sitting out of school for a couple of years and uh, almost got completely lost there because, you know, boyfriends happen. And that's really mm-hmm. what happens to actually 90 percent of all women, a boyfriend. Yeah. And he had an apartment. It was off campus. So, like, I was in, I was actually going down you know, the path, the no return, as far as my people were concerned. Mm -hmm. There was a boyfriend. I was off campus. I wasn't going to class and yet was still somehow kind of in the mix. Because again, whenever I wanted to show up at school, things were, yeah, I could pick it back up and just wasn't a problem. Um, And then- And and get by grades wise. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I I just, I really never had to, yeah. And which in retrospect now, I would never tell a young student like me and be like oh my god you're you you know you got to go somewhere where you're going to be like I was just that classic case I just I needed to be in a more challenging environment and didn't get it if only he'd apply himself yeah that was me you know and my feeling was well give me a reason that was me I was like (laughs) say something interesting and I'm there with you right and so I remember being in poli sci I'm like yeah I had a double major I had a double major my other one was in communication so poli sci English slash communications which were in the same department where I went to school because it was a smaller school and um, when I was coming back to school you know I'd gotten rid of the boyfriend and then the fiance and husband you know I was just done and I needed to figure it out and when I went back I ended up that first semester back, walking into the um, career development, whatever office, because I needed to figure out what I was going to do. You know, I just wanted to get it done as quickly as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was just looking for like a program or something that would help me figure out what to do with my life. And there was this program. Uh, it was a summer research program at Duke. Mm-hmm. And and the reason I applied for it, Andy, I'd love to say I applied for that program because it said something about preparing student, uh, you know, minority students for the professoriate. And that's what it was. It was supposed to prepare you for academia, help you get a really good research paper for graduate school and mm-hmm. navigate grad school apps. I didn't care about any of that. What I saw was for the summer, <laughs> it came with housing. <laughs> And a stipend of like a thousand dollars, and I was like, "Well, I'm applying for that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I applied and got in. I mean, really, by the you know hair of my chinny chin chin, it was you know my saving grace had always been uh, I could write, and I yeah. wrote a really compelling um, essay. I remember them saying that. I'm not saying that about myself. When they called me, they said, "Listen." You know, your academic track record is sketchy at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you clearly are smart, but, you know, you haven't applied much. And yeah. but your writing sample, they said, was just so, you know, um, uh, compelling. And so I got into what I now know at the didn't know it at the time was like it's a really competitive program. Mm-hmm. And the first couple of weeks, it was basically them putting all of these, you know, uh, college seniors and stuff in this room and recreating a graduate school seminar. Mm. And every other kid there knew what that meant. They were on the track, right? They knew they were trying to get into a top PhD program and get a job at Mellon and, you know, get the, the, yeah. the. I had no idea what anything They had been meant. applying themselves. Right. Yeah. They had been applying. And I remember turning to somebody about two weeks into this thing going, so when we say research, what do we mean exactly? <laughs> <laughs> like, I had no clue. Yeah. But then... I read my first research paper and I said, oh, is that it? Because I understood that. Yeah, yeah. And then I read another one and another one. At the end of this program, you had to do your own research paper. And I did mine and presented on it at the conference. And I understood. I got it. I knew what 
I knew what was happening. Somehow mm-hmm. it all clicked. And I thought it was the first time, first of all, I'd had to try. Writing that research paper was the first time I'd had to actually go to that library, spend hours figuring something out for myself, explain it to someone else. Um, I had to apply myself. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, when I did that, I, I was capable and I liked feeling capable and I wanted to keep feeling that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of kept going. Yeah. And that's how I ended was, up a sociologist. What was, the, what was the paper about? Well, first of all, what was oh, yeah. the what was the piece of writing that got you in and what was the, the end paper? <laughs> oh, it's a great one. So the first one was a what you're gonna yeah, what what you're going what's gonna be your research focus, you know, for the summer. And I'm to this day have no idea where this idea came from. Just for the record. As far as I know, I pulled it out of my butt. And I said something about I think we remember Ronald Reagan wrong. And I oh, want to wow. write about that. Right? Wow. Well, I had no idea what How I was talking about. I'm like 24 or something. Wow. I had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. But then you I had, had to hunch. execute it. I got yeah. in and then I had to execute it. And all my advisors just kept saying, that was such a novel idea. You really got... And I was like, really? Okay. And I remember going and reading everything that had been written about memory and Ronald Reagan and memorial projects. And I remember so clearly what that first paper was because it's the first thing I ever wrote where I felt I'd gotten it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And my presentation and research paper was uh, the public memorial of Ronald Reagan in the politics of erasure. Yeah. And it's like, why do we remember Ronald Reagan as a great politician? Because they told us to. They kept putting his name on stuff. Mm -hmm. Because people made a lot of money off him. Well, the Memorial Project was a deliberate, intentional project. Yeah. His, um, many of his staffers formed this sort of unofficial, official group that meets that at the time would get together and meet up in a, um, uh, a ski resort, you know, as one does, I of guess. Of course. When you're plotting when you're <laughs> to control ep- the world. When you're in an episode of succession. And that's exactly how the world yeah. works, apparently. Yeah. And they said, listen, uh, Ronald Reagan needs to outlive Ronald Reagan. How are we going to do that? And what they would do for like 15, 20 years, if you're driving around small town America, for example, and you see, you know, the Ronald Reagan Highway, Ronald Reagan School, Ronald Reagan Airport, which was, of course, Mm -hmm. the big one. They would send out these how to kits to local like the Lions Club or the PTA groups or whatever, how to get something in your community named for Ronald Reagan. And it would have applicate, you know, talk you through how you go do it. And they were like, put them on anything. Put them on the rec center. Put them on. So you like see this like weird mishmash of stuff all around the country named for Ronald Reagan because they designed for that to happen. Because they know after his politics have ended, all kids are going to know is he must have been a great man because I fly into the Reagan airport. Yeah. 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 And I mean, uh, you know, and now it seems like he was the beginning of all of this. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Dutch. Thanks a lot, Ronnie. <laughs> he actually is. I say it to my students all the time. Anytime they ask me, like, why does this work? Why is this like this? You know, why? And I go, <laughs> funny story about that. It all starts with Reagan. It all starts with, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, you know, you went now, I mean, now you have, you have a real presence in the world. I mean, aside, aside from your new job, as as a as an opinion columnist, 
you're you I imagine you are you there's a lot of envy out there from other sociologists. Like how the hell does everybody oh, know who Tressy is? Good eye, Andy. Very good eye. <laughs> and and I'm and I wonder, I mean, is it is it social media? Is that is that kind of yeah. how you think you popped out in the public consciousness more than than yeah. most academics? Yeah, and I you know I'm I'm actually pretty sympathetic to my colleagues. I get it. I should not be like they didn't elect me as their leader. Let's yes. just say, right? They're like, they're like, they're like, wait a minute, hold up. Yeah. You know, there are people who did do the right thing. They had been paying attention in school, Andy. They, you yeah. know, they knew they were going to be this thing since the time they were like 15. And then here I came out of the blue. I'm so sympathetic, just so everybody knows. <laughs> I don't say this often in public, but I totally get it. And they are right to feel that way. Um, but I think there are a couple of things. One, I firmly believe I think that all minority people are natural sociologists. There's mm. something that we get about the world um, not working the way people say it works. Right. That makes us very attuned to thinking about really sociological things. So I just, uh, you know, so I think off top, despite the fact that I hadn't been, you know, sociologist in undergrad and didn't come through it to it in that way. You know, you know, as a black woman in America, like I get it. <laughs> like there's yeah. just a baseline that I get. And then I think I was less because I hadn't been, you know, it's like you, those kids who have been running for president since they were 12. And when you look back, you're like, God, you were a weird kid. And it's because mm -hmm. they already thought they wanted to be president. And so they're doing weird stuff like, yeah. you know, um, oh, chair the. Uh, United Nations, and I'm going to but never say anything that could get me in trouble in my campaign uh, right. 20 years from now. I didn't have that idea of myself young. So I really threw myself into the profession kind of, you know, enthusiastically and mm -hmm. took tons of risks that I think other people wouldn't have taken because I didn't see it as being something that I was campaigning for. And that meant I was on social media a lot more yeah. than other academics were. And I used it in a way <laughs> that was probably very different. You know, I'm, I'm far more, I'm very clear about the fact that I have opinions and a perspective and I have my own biases and I'm not trying to be the voice of God or reason that what I give you is my perspective on the world and I've got that and that, you know, that's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was just a moment in media where that, where that was a, that was a thing that was a lane uh, yeah. that was opening up and I happened to be there. So, uh, you know, a fair bit of luck and a fair bit of accident and a birth, like most things. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you're funny too. <laughs> You're fun. And I mean, I'm I'm completely serious about that. You're funny. You're engaging. And you're and if you're you're a good writer and that, that's people don't understand that some do. Twitter is writing. Twitter is a yes. very specific, yes. like, like a haiku kind of writing. And I when I because I start I honestly started Twitter because I was on my way. They I had been asked to play. In, and this, God, this was me. I don't even remember, 2010, 2009, mm -hmm. something like that. That's about right. And the, I, because th it was during, it was either, it was right around Conan doing the Tonight Show and me going yep. back to work with him for that. Yeah. And I was going, to, I was in a car being driven down to Anaheim to play in the celebrity old timers softball game at the mm -hmm. All Star weekend yeah. down at whatever, wherever the Angels play. 
And the pro- the coordinator for the Conan show said, who is kind of setting the whole thing up because I didn't have a publicist. Uh, and and he said, they they say if you if you tweet about this, uh, that they'll give you a new iPhone. And I was like, oh, really? All right. <laughs> That's and what so got you. in the car down there, I opened up a Twitter account <laughs> and was like, all right, fine. And then I got into it and I realized mm-hmm. for somebody like. As a joke writer, it's yes. like it's it is like making a little dovetailed rosewood mm-hmm. box mm-hmm. of a joke. And I also would really enjoy and I would take my time and pick the words. Mm-hmm. And if you can get four images into whatever it was at that time, 140 mm-hmm. characters, yeah, I would be so because I was like, I'm I'm not this isn't just one joke. There's four jokes. Four in there. You know? yes. That's gonna <laughs> hit I, them on these levels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, and I think you intuitively understood the craft of that. Well, and, thank you. Know, you. I welcome. do think for the record, it's one of the things that I know I connected with you early on. Um, you know, yes, you were funny and all of that stuff that comes with being a celebrity. I got it. But you were a writer and you understood it as writing, which I think for the record, the best humorists are great writers. I was a huge fan very early on. True story. I taught myself how to curse because I wanted to be cool because, again, wasn't. And I realized all the cool kids get cursed real good. And I couldn't because my parents were dorks. Wouldn't let you. And I went and checked out, as one does, the library <laughs> albums by Richard Pryor <laughs> and Eddie Murphy. And I taught myself how to curse. Thank you very much. And I'm still very good at it and very proud of that skill. Yeah, yeah. And learned it the dorkiest way possible. And But to me, studying those things is like, oh, because I was trying to figure out the rhythm, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not just the curse words. You got to mm-hmm. do them like poetry, yeah. you know? Yeah. When Richard goes off on one of his things, it is freaking poetry. Yeah. And that's, to me, what Twitter is. Yes, it's that sweet spot between what I think good comedy writers understand, which is you got to tell a story fast. Yeah. And a story that people didn't know they wanted till they get it, you know? Um, And I think that's the people who excel at Twitter. And to be fair, we shouldn't ask that of, like, normal people. Nobody should be expected to do this. Well, one thing, and one one thing that I was always excited about with Twitter, and and it has... It, it's it's been a great place for women because yes. it's it's a place for them. They don't. You, 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 there are so many funny women mm-hmm. who are being funny today for money yeah. professionally, mm-hmm. and they started on Twitter because mm-hmm. there wasn't a booker that had to put them on stage. That's there right. wasn't somebody that had to hire them to get on the mm-hmm. staff. All they had to do was get out there and be funny. Funny. And, That's and, right. And it and to me. Like, and I've said this before, you know, to people like I, I like funny women and I, I prefer reading funny women to funny men. Not because I'm an ally, mm-hmm. not because, you know, I was raised in a matriarchal, you know, little, little <laughs> pod. It's because it's different. 
Yeah. It's because yeah. it's men are so fucking boring now. Like, well, when, and they're very narrow. Like they talk yeah. about the like women, especially depending on what kind of woman. Like, first of all, I just feel like we come in so many varieties. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You got just so many varieties of woman. Right. I feel like with men, you get two. You know, right? you got chocolate or vanilla. And But over here, we're, we're doing these things with sorbets. Mooses. We just got a lot happening over here. Like, yeah, I yeah. can go from Ali Wong to like um oh I like to talk about a Twitter made comedian Blair Erskine maybe yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and again oh she started out making her own little videos in that's, Georgia yes and now she's working for Jimmy Kimmel that's what I'm like we just got flavors yeah and I can pick and choose like these different flavors for different moods and yeah I, I also think that the I mean I think the women are killing it for lots of reasons and pretty much the same reason over and over again in different um uh, different uh, constructs that you point out, which is it got rid of the middleman. And as it turned out, the middleman was the problem. Yeah. Just <laughs> the booker, to, the manager, the whoever yeah. that is, they were the problem. And it it actually really showed that that whole thing, women aren't funny, was mm-hmm. a fuck, the biggest joke, the biggest yep. cosmic yep. joke of all. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and I mean, they're still bro humor guys that think women aren't funny. And it's just, they're just basically saying, I don't like, I don't like a car to have more than one gear. You know, I don't, I'm not so good with levels, you know, or irony. I don't do that so well, you know, so yeah, it's good. I did one thing I definitely want to ask you as, as, and and I, 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 we got to wrap this up. It's getting too late, but uh, as a cultural critic, Mm -hmm. how do you avoid fatigue? And I'm saying this from a personal point of view of being, Someone who I can barely turn on the news these days just because I just want to crawl into my own butt and hide, you know. Yes. (laughs) As opposed to the people we're running from who have crawled up their butt and are trying to get out. And they're like, no, you should stay up there. Yeah. I Listen, first of all, none of us were made for this kind of information environment. We were never supposed to know everything horrible about human beings that's happening all the time. I'm like you, I'm exhausted. I have about six months ago, actually had to very deliberately take active steps to curtail the stuff that was coming in at me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, it was like a lot, I mean, you know, it's nothing special here, but you know, it was, impacting my sleep, my well-being, my mental health. And not in that like, oh, what? no, I mean, I was like, I was in danger of not getting out of the bed. Yeah. Because, you know, the weight of it, it was just very heavy. Um, and things will always be heavy. That's the thing I have to re- remember um, and remind myself just because I, I'm i now aware of it doesn't mean it hasn't always been heavy. Um, you know, some of this is just about getting to the point in like my craft, frankly, where I trust myself Um. I trust myself to be good enough at my job that I don't need to know every detail, mm-hmm. which is, you know, so much about being, especially when people underestimate you for so much of your life. The way I counter that is by being prepared, always, always prepare, right? That means I'm going to read everything. I'm going to watch everything. I'm going to take everything in uh, so that I'm not caught unaware Um but I had to trust my craft enough to know that I can still do my job without, I don't have to watch every video of every murder. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to watch every uh, 
uh, missile being thrown in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I don't have to watch every single one of these horrible trials, you know, I, yeah, I just or every, have, every racist, horrible thing right. that Congress says, you know, That's every right. soundbite. Yeah. It didn't make, it doesn't make me ill informed. There is mm-hmm. a point at which you are just an informed person. Yes. I get it. I don't <laughs> yes. need more. Yeah. yeah. I don't have to keep punching the clock. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so it, I mean, I'm still not great at it, but I remind, I just actually had to remind myself of it today. There was a, I felt the need, you know, to weigh in on something and thought, well, one, you know, can other people do that? I don't have to do that job all the time. And two, will I be just as capable of weighing in on that in, you know, two months? Absolutely. Like, I, you know, my ability, I'm not going to be any less informed in like two months, Yeah. you know, if I just don't do this, um, you know, immersion, this, you know, horror immersion right now. Yeah, yeah. But I just have to remind myself of that every day. And it gets a little easier the more like I just trust. I find it's mostly just about trusting that I have done enough work on my craft that when I need it, it'll be there. And I don't have to prove it every time by being the most prepared, informed, miserable Mm -hmm. person in the room. (laughs) And I I think, you know, because I mean, being active, you know, I do feel like on one hand, I'm like, I'm a talk show sidekick. But on the other hand. I've done stuff that, mm-hmm. especially like in the last election with different groups, kind of heralding forces and, and, yeah. and getting people together that had tangible results in terms of money raised and mm-hmm. poll workers uh, signed up and, and, yeah. and canvassers. And it and then, it, you know, we get that nice old man in the White House and it just mm-hmm. seems like it. the shit show continues yeah. and in fact deepens in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I just I feel like I'm OK. I can take I can take a break. I can mm-hmm. say something, something. I'm not the only one doing this. There's lots That's of other it. people That's doing That's so important. This. Yeah. You're not the only one doing it. And frankly. I mean, you know, I wish that the threshold for this was higher But the reality is, if in your daily life, I like to say if it's somebody who actually talks to you, like a person who sees you walk on the dog or going to the grocery store or whatever, like real people who see you in your everyday community, if they wouldn't be surprised to hear that you signed up people to Canvas, for example, then you've probably done more than 90 percent of people (laughs) for all of political and public life. And you're probably okay if you take off this this week, like because it's it's just where it is. You know what I mean? So I, I think in your if the people who know you know you as that person, you're probably good and yeah, golden. Yeah, yeah. So where 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 are you going? What what do you huh. where do you want to be? You know, mm-hmm. as time goes on, uh, are there, mm-hmm. is it is it kind of you know just a, is there just a following the same sort of path, or is there are there mm-hmm. tangible kind of concrete mm-hmm. goals that you have ahead? Mm-hmm. So funny because I I write these things down every so often, usually around my birthday, you know, take an assessment. Like if I die tomorrow, well, I'll be okay kind of thing because I'm a very <laughs> upbeat kind of girl. And I looked at my most recent one and I was like, oh, crap, I checked all of them off. <laughs> and I like panicked because I don't know what, what to do, do next. I was like, yeah, that was supposed to carry me for like at least seven years. And I had written that thing. I was supposed to be busy for seven years. Um, you know, I you know I got a dog. I figure that'll that'll I, eat up some a of the darling time. Kirby, right? You've seen him? That's right. A darling a little dog. dog. Yeah, it's the cutest thing in the world, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and I'm not even a dog person. I just think this one is exceptional. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, you know now. I mean, I've got the privilege of my life being more about what I want to do for other people 
than what I want to achieve for myself. And that's just such a privilege Yeah, that most people that love me and raised me never could have imagined. And so I want to be like really good at that. Like, how do I now start to do that? The stuff that matters. Um, and, you know, I have to be honest that I, you know, that I really like what I do. That feels weird. You know, yeah. you work enough call centers, you work at Wendy's long enough, you're supposed to hate your job. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, I kind of like mine. And yeah. so I do, I want to do this. always want to do it better. You know, still yeah. always the good nerd girl. I want to get as good at this as I possibly can. Um, creatively now that that sparks me like there's just a there's a ton i'd love to do creatively like you yeah. know um fictional I don't, stuff yeah i mean we're yeah. yes we've been talking i've been talking with people about doing you know script writing and limited series especially around i think there's a i think is as important for the things that we care about in nonfiction to show up in our fiction yes because that's actually too. where people think that's actually where people feel safe enough. To and think it might about be them. more it might have a more power and more yeah. lasting, yeah. You know, a more lasting quality. Yeah. yeah. And I increasingly think that and like, it, you know, certainly not to step on like people's toes who's actually trained for that. But like storytelling is one of those universal things. And so I love to do storytelling in these other um, unique ways, again, especially around ideas where I'm like, you know, what I think like, I don't know, can we make reparations funny? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and maybe it would be a good thing or like, I don't know, can we, you, you know, can make anything funny? I mean, right. I truly believe it. You just got to be, you, got, you know. You got it t- some of it just high bars that you set yeah. for yourself, you know? Yeah. You take something like Abbott Elementary shouldn't work. It's about yeah. failing schools and horrible teachers. Yeah. And it works. And now people think though about like public education as being full of human beings again. Like that's yeah. so big to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so like creatively always. And before I leave this earth, I've gotta write just one. Just one really good country music lyric and have somebody <laughs> lay it down. Just one. That's that's one of my secret ambitions. <gasps> I have a whole no. file. I have me a file too. of notes I've that says snippets. country songs. Yeah, yeah. I've got snippets, me too. Someday, someday, you know. Yep. No musical ability. Are, do you? You got any pardon? musical ability? Do you have no, any musical ability? No, abil- no musical either. ability, but I love music. Yeah. And and also too, talk about a construction. That's old that's country, it. Old country songs you get it. are like Cole Porter. They yeah. are brilliant, tight little economical yes. gems when they hit right. You know, yes, like, yes. like the song The Door by George yeah. Jones. Mm-hmm. If y'all haven't heard George Jones's The Door, go listen to it. It is one of the it yeah. is equal to Robert Frost, if you ask yeah. me. You know, no. It's wonderful. Yeah. When a song like The Door, which I do know those lyrics pretty well, when it makes that turn, like, uh, you know, I stopped loving her today. That yeah, exactly. What country lyrics do is they make a turn. Yeah. And it's all about that turn. And when they make the tight, that, you know, that hairpin turn, mm-hmm. like you said, it's one of the best pieces of prose you're ever going to hear or enjoy. And I think if I can just get one of those, just one yeah. Yeah, in my yeah. lifetime, one good turn, I'll be good. I also, uh, the thing I love about them too is that, Country music is irony free. It yes. is like when That's you say right. I love my mama, you mean you love yeah. your mama. Yeah. You know, and and it's not, you know, it's it isn't self there's not a lot yeah. of self-knowledge in classic country That's music. That's right. So in an absolutely irony free environment, when you can be surprised, when yeah. you can when you can have those turns like you say, yep. 
it's it, it it's so powerful yeah. and so uh, to me exciting. I you know I, me too. there's people that just aren't they don't have the gene, and I'll say like, yes. oh my god, listen to this Buck Owens song, and they'll be like, oh that's awful. What? Like, I know because they hear the voice, which like I get it. I guess it's like me listening to metal, right? Like, yeah. So I get it because no matter what you play for me, all I'm gonna hear, yeah is the screech. Yes. And I guess that's what it is with twang with them. Like the twang is so distracting that they don't, I'm like, no, listen, listen to what they just said. Did you hear that? Yeah. 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 You're right. You don't, if you, you, you you got it or you ain't got it. Yeah. Yeah. So what if, um, you know, the end question of these three is is what you've learned. I mean, do you, is there a, is there a, uh, Tressy motto? Is there something that you tell yourself or that you tell other people kind of that's a, hmm. you know, the culmination of, of what you've been through? Uh, I mean, you know, they're probably all some iteration of uh, to talk about a, a good country uh, music lyric there. If I do have something pithy, it is just an iteration of uh, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Mm. So the devil doesn't know you're there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Whatever it is, if as my my grandmother used to say, if you if you woke up alive, whatever it is, ain't that bad. Yeah. Uh, you really can reinvent yourself as much as you need to uh, for the first time, actually, probably in modern history of yeah. all of human history. You really can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of potential in that, which says that you know, it's rarely the end, and and I've got to believe that, or else really none of this work. I, I wouldn't do any of the work I do. If I didn't believe that, yeah. uh, that you really can rewrite it tomorrow. You know, life's a process of editing. You really can re- rewrite it all tomorrow if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had to rewrite my story, you know, several yeah. times. And, uh, you know, I think just like any good editing, each e- each revision uh, is usually better than the one before. And so, yeah, yeah it just keeps showing up to rewrite it. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I got... One pithy saying, I should work on that, though, because I do want to be the old woman at the end of the game who's just handing those out to people. <laughs> and I should yeah, probably like a, start working a on A human it. fortune cookie machine. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's how the young you get the young people to come around, right? And I'm going to need somebody to, like, come around. So, yeah, you got to have some good sayings. Right. Write all this down. <laughs> well, Tressie, thank you so much. Um, and I encourage people to go out and get your books and, and uh, it, Laura Ed and Thick and... Uh, and, and, you know, pay for that New York Times subscription, just if only for you, you know. <laughs> oh, they will love you for that. <laughs> I mean, don't, you, you know, there's other parts you don't have to read, but yeah. you know, trusty stuff. Read My that. page is pretty safe. I will say I try to keep it a pretty safe zone. Thank yeah. you so much, Andy. It is so great to finally see your face. And, uh, you know, you owe me one next time we're in the same I, place. I will. I will. Now, if I'm out there or you're out here. Yep. We will dine. All so, right. Yep. I'm going to hold you to it. All right. And thank all of you out there for listening to another episode of The Three Questions. We will be back at you next week. Bye-bye. Got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blayert, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? 
Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.